information in this podcast is meant for the education of clinicians in rehabilitation. This is not meant for personal medical diagnosis and treatment, and individuals should always consult an appropriate medical practitioner. Hello, and welcome to the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy Special Interest Group Podcast. Today is our first case study podcast. We will be highlighting the evaluation and treatment of a patient with spinal cord injury and BPBV. I am Maureen Clancy, and I'm joined today by Nikki DeSavio. Hi, Nikki. Would you like to give the audience a little background on yourself? Hi, Maureen. Yeah, I'd like to tell a little bit about myself. Um, I graduated in 2018 from the University of Pittsburgh with my DPT. I then went on to complete a neurologic physical therapy residency at USC Rancho Los Amigos, and I received my NCS in 2020, and I still currently work in the LA area in an inpatient rehab setting, primarily working with individuals with spinal cord injury. Great. So do you want to tell us a little bit about this patient that you saw? Yeah, this um, patient that I saw in the inpatient setting was a middle-aged male. He had a recent motorcycle accident that resulted in traumatic spinal cord injury. On Asia testing, he presented as C4 Asia D with a pretty typical central cord syndrome. At the time of his accident, he underwent a posterior fusion of his upper cervical vertebra and was in a cervical collar um, for several weeks after the time of surgery. He was admitted to inpatient rehab three weeks after the injury um, with the cervical collar in place. In addition, a TLSO went out of bed due to thoracic level injuries as well. On admission, he required two-person total assist for all bed mobility and transfers. Due to his impaired sensation from a spinal injury, he had limited sensation from C4 and below, and he had limited motor function in his upper extremities um, with the central cord-like presentation, and grossly four out of five strength in his lower extremities, however, significantly impaired proprioception and sensation in his lower extremities. He did not have any significant past medical history other than um, a cabbage three years prior, had been treated well since then, no issues. Um, and really just presenting with the new traumatic spinal cord injury at the time. So did he initially present to you and complain of dizziness? And among his presentation, what did you include within your differential diagnosis to sort out where his dizziness was coming from? You know, he did not initially blatantly state that he had dizziness um, in initial evaluation. I did ask him about dizziness and Nothing was obvious that was causing his dizziness. However, after working with him a little longer and asking some more questions, he did express that he felt a little dizzy when he performed um, transitional movements, such as rolling in bed, supine to sit. Um, and something commonly we see in individual spinal injury is orthostatic hypotension at this stage in their recovery. So I did screen him for that. And he did in fact have orthostatic hypotension primarily from supine to sit as we were not standing at this stage in his recovery. So I was aware of that, but he also mentioned a different type of dizziness every time he was rolled for turning. So he would say, every time I roll, I feel the whole room spinning and it happens worse when people turn me to my left and it just feels awful. And I don't really want people turning me anymore. So in listening to that, I then had a differential that he might also have BPVV in addition to orthostatic hypertension. So if we see a patient and we, in the typical manner, we think that they may have PPVV, we're gonna do a Dix-Hall pike or we may do a horizontal roll test, but it sounds like given his restrictions, you were not able to do that in this case. So how did you assess him for BPVV? 
essentially we use the same principles of um, the traditional testing that you just mentioned. Um, the difference was, however, that he had a cervical collar and he needed a TLSO as well when out of bed, but for safety, we put it on in bed since we were gonna be doing a lot of rolling. One of our best friends in the hospital is using the bed features um, to do a lot of the work for us. With somebody with quadriplegia um, and unable to assist in their own rolling at this stage, having multiple staff members present is critical. So we had three therapists present. Um, we had the position, we had the patient positioned in long sitting in the bed with two therapists assisting them due to the trunk mobility. And we had one staff member Trendelenburg the bed to negative 30 degrees to simulate what would be 30 degrees of cervical extension if you were in a typical position. At that time, we had the two therapists assist the patient into laying on their side 45 degrees and laying flat down in the negative 30 degree position. So instead of turning the head to 45 degrees of rotation and 30 degrees of extension, we use the functions of the bed in a full body roll to achieve the testing position of what would have been the Dix Hall bike. At that time, the patient first was positive for a left posterior canal BBV with a very typical presentation, a delayed onset with less than 30 seconds of nystagmus that um, slowly ended and the patient reported no more symptoms. Due to the fact that he had a traumatic accident, um, we assumed that there may be multi-canal involvement and wanted to test the other canals. The patient was more than willing to um, test them. He was comfortable with the multiple staff members into position. So we also went on to test the right posterior canal, which he was then negative for, um, which made sense with his complaints of rolling to the left. However, to cover all bases, we also wanted to check the horizontal canals and modified the roll test in a similar way, where instead of just rotating the head on the neck, we used a body turn. So we had the patient go from long sitting to supine with the bed flat this time. And then the head of the bed was actually elevated to 30 degrees to simulate a chin tuck. And the patient was rolled onto their side for 45 degrees, at which point he was clearly positive for a left horizontal canal canalithiasis described by the geotropic nystagmus we saw, which was worse on the left. Um, so we use very similar testing principles that you would typically use. We just had to modify the movements to not allow for any spinal movement and use the body and the bed and the multiple clinicians to achieve the appropriate positions in relation to gravity. That sounds great. So how did you end up deciding how to treat him and what was your process in determining which canal to treat in which order and just how you were gonna do that given his restrictions? So his, his biggest complaint was rolling to the left um, was what made him feel the worst. Um, given the fact that he had a positive posterior canal and a horizontal canal, we decided to treat the posterior canal first because um, we had more staff members present and um, it was, we felt it was best to attack that one. So we rolled him through a very similar maneuver where the same exact setup of the Trendelenburg bed to 30 degrees as the initial testing position and rolled him through the same positions as the Dix Hall Pike. But as we stated before, instead of using the head to roll on, we just rolled the whole body. And we used three people to help him sit up at the end to achieve the position that he needed. And it was as if a regular typical treatment where he was symptomatic through many of the rolling tests, some positions he was not. And then at the end, we waited until all symptoms resolved. 
he was agreeable to do this again in the same session for the left. And when we laid him back on the second time, he actually um, did not have symptoms anymore. So we decided to stop for the day and let him rest and give him some instructions about um, not laying down for the next few hours and that we would continue to assess his BBV, but that we were only going to treat the posterior canal that day. So oh. the next the next day we went back and reassessed him and he had no more left posterior canal BBV, but he still had the left horizontal canal. So we then rolled him through the left horizontal canal. We decided instead of doing a barbecue roll, which um, is commonly used, we decided to do a gaffoni maneuver, uh, which is a little more easy to perform when somebody requires more assistance or has limited mobility, where the patient is sitting at the edge of the bed, they are then laid down onto their side. So he had a left horizontal canal canalothiasis. So we laid him down on his right where he remained for two minutes. And then we rolled him into a semi-prone position to face the floor where he remained for an additional two minutes. Similarly, instead of moving the neck, we used the body maneuvers and sat him back up at the edge of the bed. And then did he feel symptomatic after that or was he feeling improved? Uh, he reported feeling much improved after clearing the posterior canal. He was symptomatic during the Gaffoni maneuver that we performed. And then we started to let it be for that day and went back again for another session to see how he was feeling. And the next morning he was reporting feeling much better, but that he still had some symptoms. Um, so we decided to go through the assessment again and found that he, in addition to the left horizontal, had a right horizontal canal canalothiasis that we were unable to see before because the left one was much more powerful. So we decided to then the following day, go ahead and treat the right horizontal canal with a similar Gaffoni maneuver um, and then let him rest for that day. With the final day after that reassessing and he was negative for all canals and reported no more symptoms. So now he didn't have any complaints with the staff when he was rolling and he was basically symptom free. Yeah, the next morning I said, hey, how was rolling in the middle of the night? And he said, I felt nothing. You know, it was great. I feel fine having them roll me now. And uh, his attitude overall about rehab was just tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. And helping him clear his BPVV just made him feel more motivated and asking for help and letting people help him um, that it was, it was great to see how he changed his rehab outlook after that. Well, and besides just altering his like outlook on things, I think it's also important to highlight the fact that, you know, we should need to make sure we're looking at these patients in the acute care setting who are undergoing these traumatic injuries to assess them for BPPV because it may be something that's getting overlooked. It sounds like, is there any other takeaways that you have about caring for the patients in this setting that you think that clinicians should know? I would say the biggest takeaway is to understand how impactful the symptoms of BPBV can be on somebody with limited mobility or that may not have use of their arms or legs in a voluntary way that rely on others to reposition them, that having somebody reposition you for skin integrity to prevent pressure ulcers. And every time you roll, you feel terrible. You feel the whole world spinning. It leads you to not want to be rolled, which can then lead to negative impacts such as pressure injuries. Um, maybe contracture management might be an issue if they're not letting staff members help them. And overall decreased participation in therapy 
because every time they do something, they feel bad. So the biggest thing is educating patients on what is the cause of their dizziness and that this is something we can help with. If identified early, the participation can increase, uh, there'll be decreased refusals. In my own practice, I've seen the earlier that I have assessed this and treated it, my patients have been more motivated. They trust you as a clinician because you just made them feel so much better by a few maneuvers that the rest of their rehab program, while it might not be related to BBV, overall, they want to participate more because they know that they can get better with your help. Um, the biggest thing to remember, if it is a traumatic injury, that there might be multi-canal involvement. And in the inpatient setting, when you're seeing these people every day and in the outpatient as well, really stick to one canal a day because you don't want to confuse um, what you're seeing and you don't want to convert to any other canals. Patients are often very symptomatic with this and they need the time to relax in between. So you can assess multi-canals if it's appropriate, but really stick to treating one canal at a time. Um, make sure your medical team is on board that they've covered all safety as well, that you've cleared any central causes of the dizziness. Um, often somebody may have a spinal injury and a mild traumatic brain injury that went unnoticed. So do a thorough screen as if you were doing any other vestibular screening before jumping into this treatment and have multiple staff members. Um, never get in a situation where you feel like you wouldn't be able to complete this safely or get a patient out of a position because this patient um, had incomplete tetraplegia. It was very important to have multiple staff members present just for comfort and safety of the maneuvers, but always have somebody else with you. If you need an extra pair of eyes, grab another member. Um, but biggest thing is to look for this early. Patients often don't bring this up if you don't ask about it, but it is impacting them. And if you ask about it and they don't experience it, you can move on quickly and know that it's not a part of their rehab. But if you just start asking, I bet you'll probably find some people that have BVV that you normally wouldn't have asked or thought to treat. And now you have an opportunity to really make an impact on their inpatient rehab stay and their overall quality of life in the hospital. And even when they go home, so they don't have to deal with this ongoing in their transition to their home. And it also sounds like it can often get confused or mixed, misrepresented with orthostatic hypotension. And it's important to ask probing questions to kind of differentiate out what may be the cause of their dizziness. Yes. So um, most patients early on will have orthostatic hypotension, and that sounds a lot like it. Um, BPV, if you don't ask more questions. So really know your differentials for types of dizziness so that you can ask better questions about what type of dizziness, descriptors, is the room spinning? How long does it last? And then actually monitor the vitals so that you know what contributing factors are. And like in the case of this gentleman, he did have orthostatic hypertension in addition to BBV. So he could just have one or the other and he might just have orthostatic hypertension or he might just have BBV. But if you don't actually check the vitals and ask the appropriate questions, it'll be very challenging to differentiate why this patient is feeling dizzy. Excellent points. Well, thank you for your great case study and informing us on this patient. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, I just want to thank you guys for listening and hope that um, if nothing, you just ask a few more questions and think that BPVV is all around you and you can really make a difference if you just ask a few questions and look into it a little more. Thank you for listening to this interview. 
which has been brought to you by the Vestibular Special Interest Group of the Academy of Neurologic Physiotherapy. For more information on the vestibular SIG and the ANPT, please visit www.neuropt.org. Thank you.